Do you remember the, the first time in your life when you, as a child when you experienced your first loss? Uh, maybe it was a loss of a favorite pet, a dog, or uh, maybe it was a relative, perhaps a, a grandparent. Uh, maybe it was a loss of, um, of a friendship. I remember my junior year in high school, my two best friends moved away to another town, and I remember just really being out of balance uh, for the rest of that year, feeling kind of lost. Maybe you had an experience like that. Well, that's exactly what um, Jesus' um, followers are experiencing in, in, in uh, John chapter 13. Uh, Jesus is having the Passover meal uh, with his 12 in an upper room, and in this example of servanthood, he washes their feet, and he tells them that this is the model for how they are to do life from here on out. That they themselves are to be servants as he was a servant to them. And then he says something that throws them all into turmoil. He says, one of you here will betray me. And only Judas knows uh, who he's talking about. And he quickly leaves to find his co-conspirators. The disciples are clueless. They think he's gone out to buy some groceries for the meal or maybe to pay some bills, but they don't know what's going on. And then it gets worse. Jesus says, I'm leaving, and where I am going, you cannot follow. And, and, and Peter, he wants to know where he's going because he wants to go too, but Jesus says, well, you can't follow me. And not to be discouraged, Peter says, well, wherever you're going, I'm going to go too. In fact, I am willing to die for you, Jesus. And Jesus looks right at him and says, no, Peter, you're not. In fact, tonight, you're going to disown me three times. So you can imagine the, the emotional uh, state that they are in. Excuse me. <coughs> so Jesus tries to comfort them. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and, and believe also in me because in my Father's house, there are lots of rooms and I'm going there to prepare a place for you and, and when it's ready, I'm going to come back and, and get you. Again, they, they're, they're still not sure what he's talking about, but and in fact, Thomas is still confused and, and he asks, well, how can we know the way where you're going? And he's thinking of a physical place and so Jesus redirects him back to himself. He says, no, no, Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the way and the truth and the life. And then he says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus makes it clear that, that he has to leave, but promises that when he does leave, that the, the third member of the Godhead of, of the Trinity will come and take up residence in each and every one of them. And he calls them, he calls them the Holy Spirit. He, he, he calls them the Advocate. And the Greek word for that is, is paraclete. Not, not parakeet, but paraclete. And it's a Greek word, and, and uh, it, it means um, to come alongside. Uh, the para means beside, cleat means to call. So literally it means to come alongside. The King James uh, Version uh, translates it as comforter. 
I like that. Other translations use the word counselor or companion or helper. But I think my favorite is the message. It translates it as friend. Friend. Clearly the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a person. Or simply put, the Holy Spirit is God in us. Now, of the three members of the Trinity, I think the Holy Spirit is the most difficult to understand. Uh, God the Father, we can comprehend. Uh, God the Son, we understand that. But, but how do we understand something called a spirit? How do you even picture that in your mind? Now, when we were kids, the word was holy what? One Holy Spirit, it was Holy Ghost. And that made it even stranger, you know. The only thing that we kids knew was was Casper, the friendly ghost, right? Was that what the Holy Spirit was like? Casper, the Holy Ghost, uh, up in the bell tower? Is, is, is that what the Holy Spirit is? It was all kind of confusing to our young minds. But here are some things that we learn about the Holy Spirit from Scripture. First of all, that the Holy Spirit was present at the creation of the world, that he was brooding over the face of the earth. We also learn that he was present at Jesus' conception and at Jesus' baptism. We learn that he lives inside of us, that he helps our prayer life, that he helps us to know what to say in difficult times, that he sanctifies us, that he gives us the gifts of the Spirit, and and he brings forth the fruit of the Spirit, and he gives us power, power to be witnesses, and that he teaches and guides us into all truth. And we'll talk about more of that next week. So it seems really, really important that we get the Holy Spirit into our lives. Well, fast forward, Jesus has risen from the dead, but he's not yet ascended back into heaven. So there's these 40 days in between. And he's spending time with his disciples, uh, preparing them to become leaders of the church that they were about to to build. On the last day before he ascends, he says this, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, But in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to receive power when that Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Ten days later, it's the Jewish uh, Feast of Pentecost, also called the Feast of Weeks. It's the second of three major Jewish festivals, and it commemorates the time when when the first fruits were harvested, kind of like our Thanksgiving, and then they were brought into the temple. But it also celebrated the giving uh, of the Torah, the law, to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so there would have been Jews from all over the known world, all over the Roman Empire in Jerusalem that week. And just as Jesus commanded, the disciples are in Jerusalem. They're gathered uh, in a house, and when suddenly there's a sound like a violent blowing wind, and it filled the house, and tongues of fire came upon them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, in other languages. And a crowd of people uh, see what's going on, and the Bible says they were amazed because they hear the disciples praising God in their own native languages, and they are perplexed. They are scratching their head. What is going on? And so Peter gets up, and he says, hey, this is the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel said would happen hundreds of years ago, that that in the last days I will pour out my Spirit on all people. 
And so God is, is doing something new. The Holy Spirit is, is not now just for a, 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 like for a few people for some special tasks like a, a prophet or a priest or king. But now he is for everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord. The third member of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, is going to come and live in the hearts of each and every follower of Christ. It's radical. It's revolutionary. And that day, 3,000 people come to faith in Christ, and the church begins. And this once frightened little band of followers, they begin to take the gospel from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the empire. But this Pentecost, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, is not just a one-time event. It happens wherever people respond to the gospel. In Acts chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria and he proclaims uh, the gospel and signs and wonders are taking place. And, and Peter and John, they're still back in Jerusalem. They, they hear about this, this revival and, and they travel north to, to join them. And when they arrive, they begin to pray for these new believers and they receive the Holy Spirit. And it's a powerful event. And then in Acts chapter 9, we have the story of Saul, the persecutor of the church. He becomes Paul, the apostle of the church, when he, when he runs into the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he's, he's temporarily blinded, but God sends a, a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And Ananias comes, and, and he prays for Paul. He baptizes him in water, and then Paul is baptized with the Holy Spirit. I mean, and, and he, re- he receives his vision back. And he begins preaching the gospel and and getting in trouble almost immediately. And then in Acts 10, Peter travels to Joppa. And while he's there, he has a strange vision about unclean food. And as soon as the vision is over, three men arrive requesting that Peter accompany them back to to Caesarea Philippi where there's this Roman centurion by the name of, of of Cornelius who has a very similar vision and, 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 and Peter begins to understand that his, his vision about unclean food has something to do with, with Cornelius, and so he agrees to go. And when he arrives, he finds this large group of Gentiles, and, the, and they're waiting for him. And Peter's, uh, Peter's absolutely amazed because he thought the gospel up to this point was just for Jewish people. But now he's beginning to understand that it's for everyone. And so he shares the gospel, and, and before the band can come up and sing the last hymn, and, and he gives the altar call, guess what's happening? The Holy Spirit's already coming upon them. And revival breaks out among the Gentiles. Again, a brand new thing that God is doing. The gospel grows exponentially. The Holy Spirit is guiding and, and leading these men and women as they preach and teach and as they, as they disciple these new converts. And then in Acts 19, Paul's on his missionary journey through Asia Minor. He arrives at Ephesus, and, and there he finds some, some, some disciples there. And for some reason, he asks them, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they're like, Holy Spirit, what's that? Never heard of it. Paul says, okay, so into what were you baptized? Well, we were baptized into John the Baptist's baptism. Okay. So Paul sits them down. He begins to explain to them, uh, you know, uh, more fully about, about who Jesus is. And, and he baptizes them in the, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and, and then he lays hands upon them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And again, they had this little Holy Ghost revival. 
So how do we get the Holy Spirit? Well, it's not so much us getting the Holy Spirit as it is the Holy Spirit getting into us. You see, each of the examples that I've taken us through in the book of Acts is is different. There isn't a one-size-fit-all. It's not as though each and every one of them are unique and different. So how do we receive this gift from God? Well, we simply ask. Jesus says as much. He, He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who, what? Ask him. That's how it happened to me. May the 1st, 1973, I, I surrendered my life to, to follow Jesus, and, and, and I received the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It almost felt like electricity going through my body. It was amazing. Melinda's experience was quite different. She was baptized with the Holy Spirit five years after she came to faith. She had read a book on, on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and she fell asleep. And, and when she woke up in the morning, she, she had this vision of, of these Hebrew words written on the wall uh, of her dorm, and she could read them even though she didn't know Hebrew. And she was just filled with the Holy Spirit. She didn't have any physical sensation, but she was... It was just a a vision that she had. And I've seen others, and maybe you have too, who are so overwhelmed with the presence of the Holy Spirit, they just fall to the ground. And I've seen others. Uh, At the 930 service, uh, one of our members just came up on the stage and shared how she was a 16-year-old girl, and and her mother had talked to her about how to receive the Holy Spirit. And that night, in the quiet of her room, in her bed, she just asked the Holy Spirit to come, and he did. No physical sensation, nothing extraordinary, just a quiet surrender of asking one, asking Christ, asking the Holy Spirit to come in. So the Holy Spirit comes as our help and as our comfort. So how does that, how does that happen? I think it begins by, by listening. I think a lot of us simply need to sit down in the presence of God and shut up, right? And just listen. God, what God wants to say to us. So oftentimes our, our prayer time sounds like a shopping list. We present God with what we need for the day. Dear God, I, I need this and this and this. Thank you very much. And then we're off for the day. Now, I don't want to discourage you from talking to God. God is interested. God is intensely interested in your needs from the big critical things down to the very small little insignificant things. He delights. God absolutely delights in having you share with him all of your needs and concerns. But prayer should begin by listening. God wants to have this relationship with you. He wants to have this intimate communion with you on uh, on the most intimate level. And to do that, we have to learn to listen. And this requires time. I think if each and every one of us would just kind of carve out some time in our day to sit down and be with the Lord, it it would radically change us. You need to spend time meditating um, uh, upon the Scriptures. Because you know, the more you know the Scriptures, the more that you're going to know God. And the Holy Spirit never contradicts uh, the Word of God. If you're praying about a, a financial situation that you're having, maybe your finances are in a mess, and you're, and you're praying, and you think the Holy Spirit says, you know, why don't you go out and rob a bank? Good guess that's not really the Holy Spirit. It's some other spirit speaking to you, you know? Maybe you're praying, you're praying, you know, God, I really want to get married, you know, and would you send me a spouse, and and you meet somebody who's already married. I can promise you that's not the Holy Spirit guiding you. 
Because the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit never contradicts God's Word. See, the, the Bible is not just a book full of history and stories. It's how God reveals himself to us. It's how God reveals his plans to us. Proverbs uh, 2, verse 1 tells us to accept God's word. Proverbs 3, verse 1 tells us not to forget God's word. Proverbs 4, verse 20 tells us to be attentive to God's word. And Paul describes the value of of God's word in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. And is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. And so God's word is our guide to godly living. If you're looking for help and comfort from the Holy Spirit, then begin by listening and looking to the scriptures. I think another way that we can receive help and and comfort uh, uh, through the Holy Spirit is by listening to others. I think a lot of times we can hear what the Holy Spirit is saying as we we talk with other folks. It makes sense that God would use other people to dispense his help and his comfort. I think it's wise to surround ourselves with people that we trust and who have a, a proven track record in their own lives so that you can glean advice from these folks. I mean, there are countless times that that trying to discern the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I have gone to other people who are farther along in their spiritual life just to talk to them. Here's what I think the Holy Spirit is saying to me. What do you think? Does this seem right? You know, people who know me, people who love God, and and that has helped me so many times in a situation that I, I find myself in. So who are those people for you? Who do you know that have a deep faith and a spiritual wisdom that can can help you? Now, I think along with that, that circumstances can also help. Are are doorways into a new opportunity opening up? Are you finding them closed? There's a great story in in Acts 16 of of Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they're going through Asia, and and they're preaching and, 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 and traveling. As they're heading uh, uh, it, it, that way, the text reads this. It says, but the Spirit of Jesus forbid them to go into Asia. Closed door. I mean, they're wanting to do a good thing. They're wanting to preach the gospel, but, but the Spirit of Jesus says no. I, and we're not told exactly how that happens, just that the, all three of them knew that was not the direction that they were to go. And so they, they went on west, and they tried to go to a place called Bithynia. And again, the Bible says, and the Spirit of Jesus forbid them to do it. Again, God, somehow God, it doesn't say how, somehow God denied them access to this area that they wanted to go. And you might find that happening in your life. A door is closed. You're not sure why. But God says to you, my plans for you are otherwise. And then we find out. Paul that night goes to bed and, and he has a, a dream. And in that dream, he has this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come on over and help us. You see what's happened? Door shut. Now a new door is opening. The circumstances are changing. And I love what the author of, of uh, Acts, Luke, writes. He says, we concluded, listen, we concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel 
to them, to the Greeks, to Macedonia. So closed door, closed door, and then an open door. God had plans for them. Now the Holy Spirit wants to be your comforter. The Holy Spirit wants to be your advocate. The Holy Spirit wants to be your, your counselor. The Holy Spirit wants to be your companion. The Holy Spirit wants to be your friend. Jesus physically left this earth 2,000 years ago, but he did not leave us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit to live in the hearts and the minds of each and every one of his followers. And each and every one of us here this morning that power, that friendship, that advocate is available to each and every one of us. And all we have to do, the Bible tells us, is to ask. And I'd like for us to do that now. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Lord, we confess that we need the Holy Spirit in our life. And so wash us clean by the precious blood of Jesus. And right now, fill our hearts and our minds with your Holy Spirit. Baptize us with your love and with your power. Come, Holy Spirit. You are welcome in our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Amen.